Hey there, welcome to this episode of the Podcast Manager Show. Today, we get to talk to Kaylee Giacome, who is a business attorney, and we are talking about how to protect yourself legally as a podcast manager, specifically talking about contracts and some things that you might not consider when you are putting your contract together as a podcast manager. I have done a good amount of education on contracts, and Kaylee shared something that pretty much blew my mind (laughs) in this episode. So even if you feel like you have heard a lot about contracts, I would encourage you to listen to this episode, hear what Kaylee has to say, because you may learn something that you did not know. All right, without further ado, let's go talk to Kaylee. Hey there, I'm Lauren, and you're listening to the Podcast Manager Show a podcast for podcast managers. Each week, we cover the technical and tactical aspects of running a profitable podcast manager business. With over 90,000 new shows starting each month, podcast managers are in demand. I mean, in demand. And I'm here to help you land your dream clients while reaching your monthly income goals without working like crazy. Are you ready? Let's get to today's episode. Kaylee, it is so great to have you on the show today. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we are going to be talking all about how to protect our businesses legally and contracts and all the stuff that you get to talk about every day. I know it's not the most exciting part about running your business, but it is really important. So we'll try to make it as fun and painless as possible. I love that. And honestly, I really like talking about it because I think it can be something that kind of looms big in our minds. And maybe we are afraid to talk about it because we're afraid we're not doing the right things. But when we do talk about it, we then don't have to think much about it if we're following what we need to follow. Right. And when you, just like your finances in your business, when you get it taken care of, when you have a system for it, when you know that an expert has, you know, looked at what you're doing, it you're doing it the right way, you're protecting your business the way that you need to, it alleviates so much stress. And then you can get on with the things that you actually enjoy about your business. Totally. Yeah. So before we get into all of that, we would love to know a little bit about you and how you got started working online. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, started my legal career far away from the online world. I was a trial attorney. I was actually a prosecutor for the government and I had a huge docket. So I was in the courtroom most days, probably three to four days a week from 8 a.m. to 5.30, um, keeping that seat in the courtroom warm as the other side of the courtroom would switch in with, with different respondents and whatnot. So um, I was you know, on my feet a lot and it was a very high stress environment and definitely not flexible. Um, you needed to be in court. You know, Since then, I know the system has changed a lot after COVID and they do have more Zoom appearances, but when my daughter was born, I really wanted to to be at home with her for a period of time. And I wanted to be there longer than, you know, the three month maternity leave that I would have. When I was little, I was home with my mom when I was an infant and a toddler. And my mother actually is also an attorney, but she went to law school when I started kindergarten. So I kind of had this model from her of, you know, this legal career that she had and really admiring what she accomplished in that way. But then I had these memories of being at home with her. So I wanted both of those worlds. I wanted to have my cake and eat it too, but I did things in a different order than she did. So I already had, I had already gone to school, I already had my career. And I really wondered whether 
by choosing to become a lawyer, did I opt out of that vision of motherhood that I had for my life? Um, and so while I was on my maternity leave, I was just, you know, searching online part-time legal jobs. I think probably the same kind of thing that we all search for when we enter into this online journey. And I actually came across a CPA who was living part-time in Bali with her husband, filing tax returns. And I thought to myself, well, I chose the wrong career. I should have been a CPA. And then I could be sitting on the beach in Bali because in my mind, being a lawyer meant, you know, being in a courtroom or something that was very inflexible. So at that time, there weren't a lot of examples. Um, this wasn't that long ago. It was almost six years ago. or It was in fact, six years ago. Um, but at that time, you didn't see a lot of lawyers that had a virtual model in the online space. Um, so I just kind of started looking at what other service providers were doing. And so I would use, you know, those same pieces of technology, the same business model that any other service provider in the online space would use. And I applied it to, you know, a more flexible, virtual friendly practice, which is contract law, trademarks and copyright. So that was nearly six years ago. Um, and I think at the time I thought, I'll just do this for a few years while she's little and inevitably I'll have to go back, but I don't think I will ever go back. In fact, I will never go back. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't even need to leave that door open. Yeah. I know. I know. And wow. Number one, that, that story was very moving for me because I just hearing you say like, by choosing this career, did I opt out of the vision of motherhood that I wanted? And I think a lot of us that are listening have that same feeling of, when I became a nurse, did I opt out? When I became a teacher, did I opt out? Like whatever, fill in the blank, right? And so we struggle with figuring out a way to make it all work in whatever it means for us, right? Sometimes it's working very little. Sometimes it's working a lot. Like whatever it means, whatever we are looking for, we wonder if it's possible. So I think just having this online space where we can see moms doing it differently is so inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm actually just thinking about this as you're um, talking, but I think, you know, creating these online businesses, it really provides a new example to the next generation of what is possible. Because I think, you know, in, in our generation, if you will, we were making it up, you know, we were yeah. just putting our foot in seeing what can work. And it's still kind of in an experimental phase. Um, whereas I think probably you and I are around the same age when we were in high school and maybe college, you know, you get student loan debt and you start planning this life and then, you know, everyone has a different path, but you might get to the point when you're a little bit older where you realize, oh, I kind of want my personal life to look different, but have I already made my bed now? And just, you know, being, being in this online world and showing other people what's possible now, you know, people who are in college or in high school, they have all the ex these examples of they don't need to, you know, invent something new when they get to this point in life, they see these examples of success. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because it's kind of like what I'm hearing you say is like, we kind of are straddling this, like, oh, if we wanted to work, it had to look this certain way. And especially as women, right? Like right. if we wanted to work, it had to look a certain way. It had to look like this very masculine way. And then we realized once we came into adulthood, like, wait, I want both and I want it to be a blend. And I, even though I want it, I'm still not sure if I can have it. So we had to go out, like you said, and create something that would allow us to have the, the blend that we wanted. So 
Yeah. And I, I th- you, you mentioned your mom and I think back on like, I wonder who my mom would be if she was in this generation, you know, mm. she was a stay at home mom. So like, I would wonder like, yeah, would she have like had a side hustle or, or whatever? Cause different generation, different, different things. Right. That's so neat. And in fact, I mentioned my mom is a lawyer. She's actually in the process of retiring into my business. So she is retiring and she's joining my practice, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Full yes. circle in a different direction. For sure. For sure. That is that is really, really neat. So pivoting into talking about how we can protect our businesses, uh, what are some of the first steps that you would want us to take as podcast managers to make sure that our businesses were protected legally. Yeah, absolutely. So as a podcast manager, and just to tie that into the conversation we're having, the work you're doing is so important because podcasts enable us to, you know, get the word out of our business while still being home, while still being flexible for our family. So um, I love podcasts, really important work. And I would say the single most important thing in terms of protecting your business legally as a podcast manager is to have a good, solid, thorough contract. Um, Typically, the first step is deciding whether you're going to be a sole proprietor or an LLC. Um, But the reason that's not, while it's the first step, it's not the most important step because there's not a right or wrong answer. Um, You could be a sole proprietor or you could be an LLC. Um, And that might come down to a tax-based decision. So certainly as you're beginning your business, um, if you were to start as a sole proprietor, that's fine. If you have it in your budget to go ahead and form an LLC, it's a very easy process. You don't need an attorney to help you do it. If you want one to, you know, that can be helpful. But I do think that is something that people can do themselves. You'll go onto your Secretary of State's website and it's typically a 15 to 20 minute process. Filing fees vary by state, but you're going to be looking at around the $100 mark, maybe $100, $125 in most states. So if you can fit it into your budget, an LLC certainly doesn't hurt. What it does is it creates a legal separation between you and your business. So if your business is sued, they cannot come after your personal assets to satisfy a judgment against you. And the opposite is true as well. So um, if you have business assets and let's say you're sued personally, like you're involved in a car accident and you were negligent or something like that, they can't come after your business assets. So we'll talk more about um, liability when we get into the discussion of contracts. But that's the main reason from a legal perspective why you might choose to become an LLC. And it definitely doesn't hurt to go ahead and do that if it fits in your budget. Um, From a a tax perspective, and as a disclaimer, I am not a tax professional, you should definitely speak with your CPA about this, but you'll find as your business grows, um, depending on your individual financial situation, there will be a point where it might make sense for you to become an S-corp. So that's still typically you're an LLC is the type of entity, but then for tax purposes, when you're an LLC, you could be a sole proprietor or an S-corp election with the IRS. Mm. Um, And the S-corp election, depending on what your revenue is, can save you money. There's not a, you know, a magic number because it really does depend on your whole household income. Um, But typically when you start getting to like $50,000 of business income, you probably want to check in with your 
your CPA to run the numbers of how much you can save. Um, so just even personally, I really wish I had done that sooner. I kind of was looking at a different income number in my mind um, and looking back, I could have saved money. So um, that would be another reason to, you know, as your business grows, track, do I still have the right entity type? Uh, but as I said, there's not a right or wrong decision. From my perspective, um, many podcast managers would be fine being a sole proprietor. Um, if you want advice about your specific situation, then you should consult a lawyer in your state. So sole proprietor versus LLC versus becoming a corporation, those are state-based questions. Then moving on to contracts, that's really the most important because whether you did choose to be a sole proprietor or you're an LLC, as a service provider, your contract is the most important thing. So that is a whole can of worms. I don't know if you have questions about that specifically or you just want me to dive into contracts. Yeah. Well, I think that's really smart that you brought up that the entity that you are is really a state question because then that can help us to go to the right person. And you said that you're in California, correct? I'm New Jersey, actually. Oh, you're New Jersey. Okay. So if anyone's living in New Jersey, they could ask you. If not, you know, go go to someone who's who's in their state, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then Yes, about contracts. Now, I think that us listening, we know that contracts are important. And my message is definitely send a contract every time. So we understand the importance of a contract. But I would love to know further your thoughts on contracts. And besides just sending a contract, what else is there specifically that we want to consider with our contract? Yeah, great question. So first, you know, the importance of a contract in general. I think sometimes um, people think of contracts as a way that you're locking someone in. I've had many conversations where, for some reason, it's peculiar to me, but people equate the word contract to joining a gym. Like they take pride in saying, I don't do, I don't have contracts, like you're free to leave or something. And that's not what a contract is. A contract is not about locking someone in, but about having a clear agreement. So I like to say that a client contract is like your client roadmap. You and your client are, you know, getting on paper exactly what services are going to be included, um, how your relationship is going to be run. Because while when we think of contracts, problems, people often think of someone who was maliciously trying to take advantage of you or um, some kind of intentional wrongdoing. In reality, most contract problems stem from a lack of understanding, a lack of being on the same page. Um, And there's a quote, I believe it's from Dave Ramsey, that is, to be unclear is to be unkind. So when you have your agreement in writing, you and your client are on the same page And you can think of it as a rule book, a roadmap when something comes up and you're not sure how to handle it, especially, you know, if you're not a person who likes conflict, Mm -hmm. your contract's going to help you with that because you can blame it on the contract or you can really, you know, use it as something to lean on. Um, You know, the situation has come up. Well, you know, please see section three, like here's where you know, we've decided how we're going to handle this particular situation. And it can really reduce the conflict um, and prevent problems from coming up. Yeah. With podcast managers, the the most common example of that is when clients get their materials to us late. So let's say an episode's going to come out on Wednesday and we're, you know, it's due. We've set it 
a specific day, like let's say seven days before the day that it's going live, the materials are due and the date gets passed. It is hard for, for some people to say, hey, you know, you passed your due date and you also wonder, what do I do now? Right. I get this question yes. all the time. Is there a fee that gets, you know, is there a rush fee that you implement? Do you skip the week? And all of that, number one, you can decide for your own personal business, but that's in the contract. And so, like you said, you can you can kind of lean on that and say, okay, I'm gonna follow my business's boundaries and what is in the contract. And even though, you know, I wanna I wanna cut them a break this time, which again, you can if you want to, but it's in the contract as such. So you can follow those boundaries and help yourself, you know, run the business that you want to run. Yes, absolutely. And just as important as having a contract in place is having one that is specifically drafted for your niche that addresses things like this that are unique to podcasting, for example. So Lauren, you and I were talking about, you know, specific templates for podcast managers. And one of those important clauses is, you know, client responsibilities. What are your client's responsibilities? And if they provide you with deliverables late, then you are going to require a day-for-day extension or more, or perhaps you're going to choose to have a rush fee or so on and so forth. Those are your individual business decisions. You could choose not to offer a rush fee at all. Um, And by having that, you can really, you know, you can reduce the emotion involved um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just reply back like, thank you, Susie, for sending over these materials Um, since I'm receiving them on Thursday instead of Monday. We'll get it to you next Friday or whatever it is on the schedule that you've agreed to. So you're just saying it matter of factly. You're not needing to, you know, um, stress and stew over how do I say this? Like, like how am I going to fit in this weekend um, to get this to her? Is she going to be upset with me if I tell her that I can't do it immediately? No, you just say it calm, cool, and collected, matter of factly, and that's it. Yes just having those boundaries in place and we can handle those situations that can feel upsetting, right? Our clients, we feel like, oh, our clients are putting us in a bad position where we're having to decide, do I rush it over the weekend? Do I not? And it's like with that in stone, you know, in the contract, that decision's already made. And so like you said, we don't have to involve our emotions. We can say, this is a decision that I've already decided. So I can just follow through with what I have in the contract. I don't have to think about it every time. And also the client, you know, some people do not read contracts. So there's that. (laughs) But after the first time it happens, they will know it's in there. And it's also helpful for clients to have those guidelines, right? Like we all as individuals need guidelines or we'll cross lines. Not everyone will cross the line. But like, you know what I'm saying in, in the sense that we all need to be told like how the business is ran so that we can follow the rules and follow the guidelines to make things happen. Right. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, like a task takes as long as the time you have to do it. You know, when I have something due next month versus it's due in three days, it's amazing. Like you can get it done in 72 hours or it might take 30 days depending on when that deadline is. So it's, it is helpful for the whole, uh, for both parties in the whole process. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey there, I wanted to interrupt this episode with a quick message for you. If you are listening to this show, then you are either wanting to become a podcast manager or currently a podcast manager. And I wanted to invite you to my free masterclass where I show you how to become a profitable podcast manager without 
working more than 20 hours per week. So in this masterclass, I break down what it would look like for you to be making three to 5K per month working as a podcast manager without working more than 20 hours a week. Not only do I break that down, but I also talk about the three myths that I used to believe that was keeping me away from being a profitable podcast manager and that you might be believing as well. That and I share all the details about my podcast manager program. So if you're interested in learning more, learning the three myths that might be keeping you away from becoming a profitable podcast manager, or you just want to see what does it take to be a profitable podcast manager, then grab a seat to my masterclass. I would love to see you there. Just head to laurenwrighton.com forward slash masterclass and it'll show the next available time. Okay, awesome. That is it. Go sign up for the masterclass. I cannot wait to see you there. Let's get back to the episode. And when you were talking about people equating contracts to like gym contracts, I was also thinking of like a phone contract, you know, like your phone will be like, it has no contract. And it's like, well, there is a there is probably a contract at play. It just means they're not locked in. So that makes me think about how I'll get questions on if a client is month to month, and meaning they can cancel, or is there a three month contract, as in they're locked in for three months? Right. And so essentially, um, that's interesting language. So a three-month contract versus a three-month notice requirement for cancellation are two different things. So a three-month contract would be, we have a project that's going to take three months um, that it's going to naturally conclude at the end of those three months. Like, for example, I don't know that this would take three months, but if you were setting up someone's podcast for them, or maybe, you know, you're involving some business strategy in that. So you're helping them develop the idea of their podcast and, you know, the podcast art and the intro and everything. Um, And you're going to set everything up for them, but you're not necessarily going to be their month to month podcast manager. Maybe that's a three month project. That's a three month contract that's going to naturally conclude. Whereas um, your podcast manager, like monthly retainer agreement is usually going to be a year term, you know, that you can choose to renew or perhaps it renews automatically. Um, And then within that, within your cancellation clause, you will require some form of notice for cancellation. That could be 30 days notice, or you could choose to require 90 days. Um, That's fine. You can put that in the contract and then your client is agreeing that if they want to stop retaining your services, um, they'll need to give you 90 days of notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really good distinction. Now, if we wanted to revisit the contract, like you said, you kind of said like a year, like you would revisit the contract every year. So let's say we wanted to revisit the contract every six months, perhaps to make sure it was the right fit for everyone. That would be like a six month contract that had a 30 day cancellation or whatever you wanted. Is right. that that would be the correct way to toward that. Yeah. So you'll have a term um, or clause in your contract called agreement term. So the it's a six-month term contract or a year term. The term is the length of the agreement when it will naturally conclude unless you renew it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Another thing that I will hear people talk about is that 
they didn't send a contract because it was either going to be like a small project or it was like it didn't seem serious enough to send a contract. So what are your thoughts on perhaps getting in the habit of sending a contract every time? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way to, you know, drive home the importance of the contract is what can go wrong without one, even in those otherwise casual situations. So let's say you're just doing it for a friend or something like that. So there are there are certain rights that are created in a contract for both you and the client or you and your friend in this example that wouldn't otherwise exist unless they were in a signed writing. So to the extent that you're creating, um, you know, you're creating an intro that involves different pieces of audio um, or even graphics and, and whatnot. You, as the creator of certain types of content, I don't want to say always because it will certainly depend if someone sends you straight audio and you're just editing that, then they are still the creator of that and they own the copyright. Um, But if you've substantially created something new by involving different pieces of audio or even the thumbnail art, for example, you actually in some cases might own the copyright to the work, the content that you created for your client. And you probably don't have any intention of hanging on to that copyright. And probably your client or your friend, their common sense understanding would be that they own the copyright to this because they hired you to do it. But that is not what copyright law assumes. So under copyright law, the creator of a work um, is the automatic copyright owner. So you can imagine instances where you're creating content, even audio content for a client, and you actually might be the copyright owner of that. And it needs to be in assigned writing that you are assigning and transferring that copyright to your friend or to your client. So that would be an example of, you know, dropping the ball when you didn't intend to or you didn't think that you needed a contract. And then there might be other things. Let's say that your friend or your client, they provide you with audio to use in the intro. So without thinking much of it, you take it, you incorporate it into something um, and you send back an audio file. And then down the line, someone comes knocking on your door, your email box, um, accusing you of copyright infringement because that audio that you incorporated into something, they didn't have the rights to use it. And you... In, might be accused of copyright infringement. In your contract, in an indemnification clause, you would have ideally handled that. So if you were provided with any infringing content, whoever provided that to you, your client, your friend, um, they would take the responsibility for that. So they would essentially step into your shoes um, in a legal way and take the blame for having provided you with that infringing content. So there are a lot of things that you might not initially think about and rights that are created in a contract that goes far beyond just your understanding with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think like you said, what, why not? And I think, too, why not get into the habit of taking your business seriously? You know, even if it doesn't feel like a big project or maybe it's an unpaid project, right? It's a friend or it's like one of your first experiments with um, getting some experience, then it might be unpaid. But at the same time, you can still have a contract in place, like you said, to just make things super clear on who owns what, who's responsible for what and everything in between. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So you've brought up some really great examples of how the contract could protect you later on. What about if a client were to say, I'm unhappy with whatever, or you haven't done what you said you were going to do? Is there, or even we're unhappy with the client or there, you know, there's conflict with a client. I've heard a lot of times people say like, well, the contract's there, but people don't actually sue each other over this type of work because, you know, legal fees would be more than the project. Like, what is, what are your thoughts about that? So I would say that is much more personality-based in my experience than it is revenue-based. Um, so there are there are people who they you know they feel really strongly about something. You know, I deal a lot with copyright infringement and trademarks. And even if it's a small business, even if it's you know a, a mom, a service provider people tie a lot of emotion into their business name and their original content. And um, they feel very personally wronged sometimes. And I find that it's more linked to a certain personality that is likely to take action on something than just revenue. Um, So when it comes to podcast manager, you know, maybe you're a small business and you're dealing with other small businesses, but again, you just, you can't see around every corner. So let's say that there were episodes that were like, like very closely tied to someone's launch and I'm making this up, but let's say, you know, you intended to schedule something to be published and you make a mistake. You're human. You know, maybe you're about to do it. Your internet goes out, your kids start screaming and you run to attend to something. And in your mind, we all have so many things going on. You had scheduled it and you didn't, you know, you can come up with many examples in your mind of um, of ways that you could unintentionally do something wrong, an innocent mistake. And, you know, when people take something personally, or if someone feels like that had a negative consequence on their launch or their business, then, like I said, I think it really is more having to do with their um, appetite for litigation than revenue. So a lot of times someone will start with like a demand letter, a cease and desist letter. And it's not necessarily that expensive to hire an attorney to draft a demand letter. Um, So again, making this up, let's say something went wrong with the, the episodes leading to a launch and they feel like the launch didn't go well for that reason. Um, and so they feel like, you know, their revenue from this launch would have been double what it was had this not happened, but for this occurrence. Um, it's not that expensive to have an attorney draft up a demand letter demanding that you pay that difference or that you're responsible to them for those damages, which again is most likely going to come back to a personality issue. And then then you're in a situation where do you hire counsel to look at this letter to see, is this a legitimate threat? Um, Do they have standing here? Are they able to sue me? How likely is it that they're actually going to sue me? Or are they just trying to scare me? A lot of people will panic in that situation. And then they'll hire a lawyer. And then that can get expensive. So one of my favorite and what I think is one of the most important clauses in your contract is a limitation of liability clause. And that means, yes, even if I do mess up, even if I'm negligent in some way um, and it results in these damages to you, had I not done this X, Y, Z, this domino effect wouldn't have happened. Even if that occurs, you and I are agreeing upfront that at maximum, I am only going to be responsible to you for one month retainer. 
or it can be whatever you choose, two months of a retainer. And the peace of mind that that brings you is great. And it also will make that process. Let's say you get that letter and you do hire a lawyer to read on, read it. They are going to look at your contract and they're going to say, you know, in this instance, your limitation of liability clause here is enforceable and you're not responsible for her $20,000 of damages. And they can come to that answer a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so brilliant. That is so good. And I think that is, oh my gosh, I'm just so good. That's like one thing I've never heard before. So I'm so glad that you just shared that because there are those types of kind of worst case scenarios that that keep some of us up at night, <laughs> you know? And so that is where the contract really saves you your peace of mind, which is which is really ultimately what it's about, right? It's like, like you said, we can't see around every corner. Things will happen, but we don't know what those things could be. We don't know if anything like that will ever happen to us. But when we have someone who has this expertise, look at our contract or, you know, give us a contract, then we know, okay, I don't have to wonder if if I'm covered. I know right. that I'm covered. Right. And going back to, you know, the personality, considering your own personality, are you someone who is likely to be up at night, what worried about these things? Or are you someone who is more likely to, you know, brush it off and think it's not important and just, you know, move more quickly and more boldly? Um, having a strong attorney drafted contract in place that is tailored to your niche is going to help both of those personalities in different ways. It's going to give, you know, rest to the anxious mind for one, and it's going to really hedge off um, the things that that, you know, person who's quicker to move and more bold didn't consider because they were moving too fast. They were moving um, maybe, you know, too recklessly. Yeah, right. It's like they... And if you if you can identify, of course, we're all somewhere in between. But like, if you can identify, I like to move quickly. I like to maybe I'm more comfortable with risk. Well, risk, yes, in certain aspects, but not legal risk. <laughs> we don't none of us need to take that on. So if you're like, I, I'm quick to move and I'm proud of that, then yes, cover yourself legally because then you can move quickly. You can you know, move your business along and still be protected. Right. And same with that anxious mind. It's like, hey, it, you know, if you're if you are going to be maybe held back by wondering about the legalese and, you know, even the tax, then talk to someone so that you can ease your mind and, and have things covered so you you also can move forward. Right. And when it comes to appetite for risk, you know, there's two parts of that. What's your gain and what's your, you know, what's your loss? What's the cost of having that protection? Um, and when it comes to having a contract template to be a podcast manager, the cost is so small compared to the protection you're getting. There really shouldn't be much of a risk analysis going there. It's just a no brainer. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like a it's a very short pro and con list. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great segue to say that if everyone has not picked up, you do have a podcast manager contract um, that I have an affiliate for. So we will make sure that we link that in the show notes so everyone can check that out since everything you shared is like, yes, we obviously need to make sure that our contract is sound for this specific niche. And that's what's so important. So the the bones of it is a service provider contract, 
But what makes it different is we're really addressing those specific situations that might come up. Um, so the deliverables, the day-for-day -day extensions, things like that, addressing copyright. Um, and then even in your scope of work, you want to be as thorough as possible. So we list examples there uh, that you might choose to include of deliverables that are going to be in your scope of work. So it's very easy to customize and then feel confident about sending out to your clients. Mm -hmm. And earlier, we talked about how some legal decisions need to be state-specific. Contracts, are they state, country? Where does that fall? Yeah, so contracts, when it comes to service contracts, most of most of the clauses that you're going to have are going to be the same no matter where you're located. But the question will be, what state has jurisdiction over the matter if you get into a conflict, if you actually end up in court, which is typically unlikely. Most cases, even that get to that point, are going to settle before they're in court. Um, but you're going to have a section of your contract that says, if you do need to go to court, um, these are the courts that are going to govern the contract that you're going, going to need to appear here, which is also an advantage to you if you're taking clients nationwide or even internationally. They're agreeing that, let's say you are are in Texas, that they are going to submit to personal jurisdiction, which means they're going to agree, yes, I know I need to come to Texas, or at least hire a Texas lawyer to come to court for me, um, if we have any dispute. So you, you know, they're not suing you in Timbuktu when you're needing to deal with that. Um, and then there are there are certain um, clauses that are specific to different states, but they don't concern this agreement. So for example, um, non-competes, that's an area of contract law that is very state specific. So California, for example, they really disfavor any non-competes. Um, and then some states will enforce them more. In this instance, when we're talking about podcast managers, that's not a part of um, typically your agreement and certainly not a part of the template that I've created. So all of these clauses are going to be appropriate no matter where you're located, but then you are going to customize it for you where you're located. Um, so that is the governing law and jurisdiction over the matter. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you about intellectual property. Is that something that we need to be concerned about as podcast managers? Yeah, and that's part of what is addressed in these contracts. Um, so when it comes to intellectual property law, I won't bore you with all the categories, but basically of patents, which I'm not a patent attorney and podcast managers don't need to be concerned about any patent law. You have trademark law, which is um, typically your business name, your logo, your tagline, things like that. And then copyright is going to be the area of, of biggest concern when you're creating content like this. Um, so your client contract is going to address those things. So to the extent that your um, client, like I mentioned, is providing you with trademarks or copyright, they're warranting in the contract that they have full rights to that content so that you're not inadvertently incorporating infringing material in there. And then as a, as a side note, um, certainly when you create content in your own business or your client's business, everyone probably knows it needs to be your original work. So you can't just be taking clips of um, audio and bringing it in and whatnot. Yes. Right. So you, if you are creating an intro or outro for a client, you need to make sure that you're using music, of course, that um, your client is able to use. So that's copyright law is the biggest area where it's really important um, for podcast managers to make sure 
that they are thorough, that they have the rights to anything that they're, they or their client have the rights to anything that is being contributed to the final product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that, that just makes me think like, you know, as podcast managers, we don't have to be an expert at copyright law because our contract will protect us to say anything that we're given, we can assume is, you know, is owned by our client. If not, we're protected with our contract. Right. Yep. Kaylee, this has been so helpful. I know that this has been really, really informative for me. I'm sure everyone listening is feeling empowered to know, okay, what is important and what is not important when it comes to my contract? And how can I know for sure that my contract is covering my podcast management business? So thank you so much for that. Like I said, we will add um, my affiliate link to your contract in the show notes. Uh, But before we say goodbye, I would love to know where can our listeners find you after? After this episode. Yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at Kaylee Giacome. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Come connect with me over on Instagram at Lauren Wrighton or in the Podcast Manager Mastermind Facebook group. And let me know what you liked about this episode. I love, love, love hearing your guys' feedback and what is resonating with you. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at laurenwrighton.com. Special thanks to my amazing podcast manager, Marcy Page, on producing this episode. All right, that's it. Until next time, I'll be cheering you on.